0: Welcome, everyone, back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, talking with refugee, escaped the country, came into Canada, and became an IT director, IT leader, mastermind. His name is Robert Jakovyevich. And uh, anyone that can spell that without looking him up, we'll, uh, I will send you something in the mail. Uh, just send me your address if you get that right. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thank you, Phil. Thank you for having me. Yes. And
0: I want to take the show in a new direction a little bit. I mean, I could ask you what your first computer is, but we already know what that is. It's, you know, it's a Commodore 64, which I've already deduced from doing the show numerous times. That's I don't know, definitely like something like 80% of everyone's first computer that was uh I guess, uh, X generation, uh, early, early millennial, uh, so to speak. And, uh, I don't know if I'm dating you there, but that's, these are, these are the stats. Okay. This is this, this is just, this is the data and, and numbers don't lie. People lie. So one of the things that we don't talk a lot about on the show, we talk about, business, IT is a business force multiplier. How does IT get a seat at the executive table? How does IT create real change? How do we get out of the server room that we used to hide in where people slipped pizzas under the door? And how do we kind of pull the the layers back, the layers of the onion and really kind of get to the problem? And I think we need to take more ownership as nerds and IT people or maybe just people in general or people that tend to be engineering-minded, technical people because that might be why we're in IT to begin with and kind of get more to the heart of the matter. Now, before we do that, though, I do want to hear your story as to literally how you got over here to what we would call North America. You can't call the United States America because everyone that's not in the United States, say Canada or Mexico, gets really offended by that when you say like USA is America. How did you get over to North America?
1: Uh, well, uh, I grew up in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, if you will. The country as such under that name doesn't exist for, for a number of years. Uh, back in the early 90s, we have a civil war, uh, Became a refugee, came as a refugee to Canada in, in 96. Uh, went to college there, computer programming. Uh, stayed, lived, worked in Toronto until 2009. Uh, I met my wife online in 2008. Uh, moved to California in 2009.
0: Nice. A lot of people meet their wives on lines. online. Yes, online, 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 and. Uh, all the ones that I've known have been pretty successful. So congratulations there. You know, as opposed to I met my wife like in a bar or something like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Oh, everyone's gonna be mad now. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, So left Yugoslavia, you, I kind of asked you, if you don't mind just getting a little personal, I kind of asked you growing up, like how did you end up getting into IT? And you said in Yugoslavia, um, you know, your parents got divorced and that was kind of rough on you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to that because it's very common in America. It's like 60% of marriages fail in America. But in Yugoslavia, you said it was much more just not common, more um, frowned upon. And I, I don't know if you mind sharing that for just a few minutes of how that, was a a struggle? How you overcame that, or you know how it benefited you?
1: Sure, thank you for asking. Yeah, uh, unlike nowadays, uh, you know, I was seven, but my parents divorced, and I did not know anybody, any other kid uh, who had divorced parents. So I took it personally. I took it as if it was my fault, uh, which made me withdraw from the rest of the kids. Uh, and by doing so, the easiest way for me to deal and cope with all that was to uh, study, did the books. Uh, I got really good in math, physics. Uh, seventh grade, I, I took a second place in a uh, national competition in physics. Mm. And then after that, it's a uh, natural progression, Must you know, have affinities for math and physics, technology in general, move to, to computers.
0: At what point did you realize, I'm just saying this is important for anyone else that's out there listening that may have gone through this, at what point did you realize it wasn't my fault? It was my parents' screwed up relationship or whatever it was.
1: You know, that's a great question. Uh, I, I can't really say, I think... I think once I started working and making money, I started understanding different perspectives that as a child Mm. I wasn't aware of. Uh, Having said that, it's it's quite possible that some of that guilt is still lingering in my subconscious. Like for most people, consciously you're not aware of it. But Mm. ultimately, you know, that guilt that you carry for so long, every now and then it comes to the surface and affects your decisions. And, and until you you realize, hey this this still could be an issue.
0: so uh, I think I know what I you mean to- because uh, me growing up, I was always the small kid in school. i think in in high school i I joined the wrestling team at my sophomore year and wrestled at a hundred and three pounds a hundred and three. My son is just turned sixteen, like literally, I don't know, like last week and he's 155. So I know he's a lot bigger. And I remember, you know, similar kind of experience, just different situation, but still to this day, every now and then, you know, I'll have a flashback to, uh, Oh, I wish I could meet that guy on the street right now because, uh, Cause I've been doing jujitsu for so long and now I lift weights, and maybe it's like overcompensation for some psychological battle back in the day. And you know. So, anyways, yeah, it does it does pop up every now and then. But you do, but life time changes things as time goes by and you take control of your own life. Like you said, you start making money. Sometimes money's not everything, it's it's right up there with oxygen, though. And um, it does help and you start to take more control of your own life and your own destiny. And then you start to see kind of things for what they really are. And so for any kids out there that parents that are listening to kids that might be struggling, you, you'd always tell your kids, you know, just take, it takes time. It takes time or, uh, you know, hate me now, thank me later type of thing. And uh, so anyways, I'm glad that you got over that maybe and um, and are and are now uh, and then just somehow got to how'd you get to Canada like what was it was it like is there like any like really um, excruciating pain uh, with that or I had to sneak over here or was it no I just got on a plane and or I filed for some paperwork or what was that what was that complication because most Americans are very well at least white middle class Americans are fairly privileged and don't know about this stuff
1: sure sure uh, it took about a couple of years from the point that I submitted uh, my request to immigrate to Canada as a refugee. Canada, I think they still run a refugee program annually where they uh, uh, issue about 200,000 250,000 permanent residences through the mm-hmm. refugee program. So the way it worked for me... Uh, is I submitted my paper to Canadian Embassy in, in Serbia, in Belgrade uh, in 94, in 96, I was issued permanent residency while still living in Serbia.
0: Mm. So when
1: I came to Canada, uh, I came with uh, uh, like a Canadian green card. Right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, thanks to Canadian government, it's, I came with 16 Deutschmarks or German money, if you will, uh, to Canada, but then during they 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 run what's called settlement program where I was given five hundred and two dollars a month to live on. Uh, I first went to Quebec City uh, trying to learn French. It didn't work for me after six months. I, I moved to Toronto and found a job two days after that and started learning English. But uh, it was pretty seamless, uh, you know, and I'm and I'm grateful for it. Not much struggle other than waiting for two years and, and going through several interviews and getting all the paperwork uh, ready and submitted. Other than that, uh, it was seamless. It was a great experience.
0: Do you remember the day that you got the notification that you got permanent residency in Canada?
1: <laughs> it was September 29th, 1996.
0: Isn't isn't it amazing how there's certain periods in your life like you'll just never forget that day? Where were you? I'm just curious. Can you remember? Uh, Do you
1: remember? I was in Serbia. I worked as a waiter.
0: Uh huh. What was that and feeling then, like? Do you, what was the feeling like? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, um, I don't think I can describe it uh, <laughs> with words. I, I really can't. It's you know it was. It was a hard time. We, uh, Serbia at the time was under huge economic sanctions. Uh, I worked as a waiter. Uh, and then, like everybody else at the time, you have to make sure the money that you're making, you, you have to go and buy Deutsche Marks uh, uh, on the black market to make sure that when you wake up in the morning, uh, you still have some money. Otherwise, the inflation will eat everything overnight. Uh, uh, you know, just to kind of <laughs> Expand on it. Uh, the post service in Serbia stopped asking for stamps to be put on the envelope because if you are to buy stamps, you would cover the entire surface of the envelope. You wouldn't have any space to write address who you're sending it to. It was more inflation than than what Argentina had. Mm. In,
0: uh, just back in that just so. worthless money, just exactly. literally paper. Exactly. People don't necessarily get
1: that. Like- right. So, you know, coming, coming home and, and getting a huge brown envelope from Canadian Embassy and, and reading that my application has been accepted and I was given a date. I will be flying to Canada. And, uh, there was a, a, a one-page document uh, because I was stateless. I, I was born in Yugoslavia and I was refugee in Serbia as well. Uh, so the document came from United Nations who was good for one trip to Canada. I said, I arrived to Canada as status. <laughs> right now, I have dual citizenship. I'm a Canadian. Oops.
0: It's, uh, it, it's awesome. The, um, my uh, son-in-law is from Yemen and he explained a similar situation going on right now with the money. Like it's, it's like, monopoly money or like play money. Like, please just send, give us money that has an American dollar attached to it or something or anything, but you know, the local money, it just changes on a daily basis. It is ridiculous. Um, your, we talked before the show briefly about how you learned English because I'm a language. I'm just fascinated with learning another language and just when you, To me, I'm mind blown by languages to begin with. The fact that there's hundreds of different languages and people communicate in completely different tonalities and sounds and things is just insane. But how you learned English, I think, is important for how people even learn IT and, and technology because... You told me you went to like, like through a TESOL program, like teaching English where people teach English as a second language. And there's a lot of people in America that you can just go get TESOL certified and then go live wherever you want in the world and teach English as a second language. And you said that that just didn't work that well. But when you took a job in construction and they just threw you in the mix and you had to learn English, you were kind of forced to learn it. You learned a lot faster. Is that a true statement? That is true. That is true. I, uh,
1: I started working as a as a general helper in the construction business in Toronto, Canada, and uh, all other employees were born and raised Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody was speaking English except for myself. So, so they're like,
0: this is a hammer, grab the hammer. And you're like, huh? What? <laughs> exactly. You know, that's a, that's a great, great <laughs> This is <activity>. the hammer. <laughs> you're uh-huh. like, don't make me hit you in the head with it. And then you're like, oh, I won't forget that word. Hammer. Okay.
1: Exactly. That's how it works. Like, for instance, I was told several times by, uh, you know, carpet. I go to the van and get me whatever. I have no idea Uh
0: you're coming back with to... stuff, and it's like a dad yelling at his kid. No, I told you the, the Phillips head. <laughs> exactly. And then you know,
1: I tried. To, and right, then a mouthful of
0: person... expletives, and you're like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And you're like, "Wow, oh, this is how you talk to women." And then you're like, <laughs> you're
1: like "What?" Exactly. Exactly. And you know, another thing, Phil. I mean, verbal communication amounts to about ten percent of, of how humans communicate. The rest is your facial expression, body language. Mm. So having that, even though I wasn't able to understand it, comprehend it, or speak it, I was there, uh, trying and reading this person's body and what thinking, what what is happening here, and and, that's mm. that. and after a couple of years, you know, I I learned English very well. Uh, I applied for. Uh, College admission in, in, in Toronto, and I did my, you know, assessment tests in math and, and mm-hmm. English, and my scores came out that I did better than ninety-eight percent of all applicants, which you know I was uh, excluded from a college level one English. That was two years of instruction to It's cool.
0: Yeah. Now. Comparatively speaking, you were a nerd in high school. I mean, you like did really well in like physics and all that stuff. You did that really well. How much of that transferred over to technology? And then I guess my other question would be is, do you learn more by trial by fire and drinking from the fire hose, so to speak, by throwing someone into technology and throwing them on the help desk and, and the, the same way that you learned English and everything? Do you learn technology that way?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, And this is my argument or why people don't need um, uh, to go get some kind of like, you know, master's degree and certified and all that. Not that it doesn't help. We all know that like sometimes just having that degree mark helps. But if I was a business owner, would I really want to hire the person that just has the degree or would I want to hire the guy that like, you know, like escaped Yugoslavia and came to Canada and learned all of these things this way and not only has all the book smarts, but, you know, learned everything in real life. I just, that would be who I'd
1: choose. That's it. That's well said. You know, there is a saying that growth becomes once you step outside your comfort zone. So uh, in order to grow, you have to step outside your comfort zone. You, you, you have to put yourself in a position where what you're about to do, it, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not something that you've done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but understanding that even if you're faced with failure, uh, you will learn from them and move forward with that knowledge. Uh, technology is, you need to understand the fundamentals, right? You, you can't go in there and, and, and do trial and error on fundamentals. But once you understand fundamentals, like for instance, you can't be talking about cybersecurity if you don't understand who their assets are. How are you going to protect something that you don't know that you have?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah. So once you know the fundamentals, you have to have a courage uh, to to step outside this comfort zone, to learn things, to to fail by doing things, learn mm-hmm. from those, and, and move forward.
0: Courage, comfort zone. We should have like the three C's or something. There's got to be something else there. <laughs> crash, courage, comfort zone, crash. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be something like that. But uh, yeah, Arnold, who I'm a fan of, you know, he was good at that. I, I, I don't. I hope I don't have to pronounce his last name. Everyone knows who I'm talking about when I talk about Arnold because you don't grow muscle without stressing the system. You can't just go lift a five a five pound weight a thousand times and and hope to grow some muscle. Like you need to stress the system and you know, no pain, no gain, so to speak. And I think a lot of people get comfortable sitting in their seat and uh, just taking tickets or collecting a paycheck. I think vendors get very comfortable and take their customers for granted even and like collecting a paycheck every day. And that's why they outsource customer care to Manila. Which is a good choice, by the way. Nothing against Manila. Sometimes Manila is better than America. Uh, it just depends. That's just a side note. So I don't even know where to go from here. Oh, I know what it was. So the the challenge, the problem, the most common problem that people deal with. In IT, and it might not necessarily be IT, but IT tends to be engineering-minded, heavy people trying to fix things and/or run IT. I wanted to come up with some kind of cheat sheet. I, I wish there was a way for the for the people that don't know how to talk to people, or the people that get stuck trying to fix a problem. Is there like could we take like a mathematical formula to mapping human communications? I mean, there's gotta be some cheat, there's gotta be some things that we you know, like stop, wait, ask how their day is going. Ask is there a way that we can build empathy and 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 help people that are stuck in the engineering-minded, you know, horse with blinders on, mindset, you know, you got any tips or tactics there?
1: That's a great question, Bill. Yes, uh, ask questions. Be a listener. Ask questions. Even if you know exactly what the outcome uh, is, what that outcome is. <laughs> we kind of got to ask what,
0: what kind of questions. like um, Not the question is like, are you really that stupid? <laughs> can, like, don't ask that question and then, no. uh, and then listening doesn't mean like listening while already, you already got the answer in your head so it's kind of like well uh, what kind of questions and how do we listen
1: like for instance uh, let's take an example we got, a, we got a call from one of the users you support right and the user says uh, nothing is working what do you mean nothing is working my email won't open. Uh, uh, application doesn't work. It freezes. Blah blah blah. So you can you can just you know take a simple approach and say, all right, well, thank you for letting me know. Let me look into that, and I'll let you know. Or you can walk to user's office and start asking questions very simply and very uh, guide them to the process where they know they have a problem. They don't know how to explain what the problem is. It is your job, as a as an IT support person, to make them comfortable. You make them comfortable by not throwing acronyms there, not trying to show them how much smarter you are and how you're going to save the day and you're going to fix the problem. You guide them with your questions to first understand or 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 or, or replicate what exactly did they do prior to noticing the problem. By asking those questions, you also have to ask for help. You have to develop trust. How do you develop trust? Not by offering help. Instead, ask for help. When you ask somebody for help, you show vulnerability, and that's how trust is developed. Mm. Once you have the trust with your users and you ask questions more than you're telling them what to do, that's the beginning of a healthy relationship.
0: Let's give some examples of... Unhealthy, and I've I've already pulled it up online here. Okay, I'm just going to read some unhealthy examples. This is from the Reddit group. For anyone that would like to look this up, just Google Reddit in quotes. Is it me, or are end users are our end users getting more stupid? Okay, we'll just read a few of these and we'll ask you uh, how you deal with this. Okay. Um, I'm seeing an uptick in the, here's the first one. I'm seeing an uptick in the amount of users using the caps lock key instead of the shift key lately. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, I feel like I get more and more younger users who don't know how to use a computer. It's disturbing. That, that, one, that one's kind of mind-blowing because that's actually true, obviously. These are all true. Um, I, <laughs> I have watched users click through an error message that clearly explains their issue super fast and then complain to me that something isn't working. How about you tell me why you think it's okay to try and install software you're not supposed to, then mysteriously wonder why (laughs) blank isn't working right. (laughs) It's basically like babysitting a room full of toddlers sometimes. Don't touch that. Give me that. That's going to poke out your eye, etc. So clearly, there is many forms that give... It, it, it's, I, I almost want to read a few more of these. Did you get an error or something? Yes. But I hit okay immediately and it went away. Can you recreate it for me? Thanks. Proceeds to recreate issue error and then hit okay immediately again. <laughs> oh, it goes on and on and on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I think I think maybe the question is not how do we deal with end users. It might actually be, this is the deeper question. How do we, yes, listen and and coddle the end users, but also how do we get these IT guys to not quit? How do we get IT to not say, this is the worst career ever. Why did I join this? I should just go join construction how I want you to tell me how do I love my job how do I not want to quit how do I not how do I deal with these people that that might be a better answer because I, I don't know I, I, I'm just I, I went down the road of yes we need to be better listeners we all know that I'm pretty sure we do maybe we don't maybe we're just like really angry I don't know. Technical people that don't care and don't get paid enough. I don't know. Um, it's, it goes both ways here. Um, here's a guy that's saying it's hard to break the habit it affects my professionalism. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what he's talking about, but obviously he's talking about professionalism. He's trying to be professional and, and, and not lose his mind and, and deal with all this stuff. I don't know. What's your feelings about all of this? About how to
1: well we gotta your listen. people not to do IT jobs? Or- you know, yeah, yeah. So,
0: so, there's there's a duality going on. There, there's a duality going on here. IT people help people keep the blinking lights on. They help them with their computer, they help them with their frustrated issues, and the people might be stupid in their minds and they aren't listening or they aren't walking them through, or but the other side of the coin is people don't appreciate IT. The if I look at the the ratios there's one IT director or one IT staff, one IT staff to about 100 end users on average in a mid in the typical mid-market American company. Not talking big enterprise where everyone's like an employee number of 10,005. I'm not talking about small business where they've got like a little local IT MSP guy that they're trying to shave a few dollars off their monthly bill. I'm talking about typical American-made business people where the IT department is like one guy to a hundred and they might not get paid enough and they deal with all of this crap and we're asking them to be, you know, the end user whisperers. Sure.
1: Sure. No, that's not the point. I take it as, how do I say this? If I don't understand business processes that are going on and happening outside my own department for information technology. That's my fault. It is, it is not uh, the C-suite uh, 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 people's fault that I don't understand the financial planning, financial strategy, balance sheets, and all of that. So I have two choices as a, as a leader in, in IQ. I can remain stubborn and say, you don't understand. You need to pay Uh, $50,000 for uh, PDR. you need another $100,000 for this. You don't understand one bad email is going to bring your business to the needs. Or I can try to understand the way they think. So I'm going to step outside my comfort zone, which is known and predictive. It's zeros and ones its technology at the end of the day. And try to understand different perspectives. I will go and learn. Let me learn a little bit about accounting business planning, marketing. So I can understand when I go to have a conversation with my GM, asking him to do something to protect the business, I'm going to approach it from a perspective what he is accustomed to. Not what I'm saying. I did my research and I chose the best vendor out of a bunch. And here's why we need this. No, that's where... Asking questions, again, comes into a play. You, you have an end goal in mind, but you don't just plainly put it out there and, and ask for that to be approved. You ask questions to guide that user, regardless whether it's a frontline user or, or, or a CEO. You ask questions to guide them to the point that they come to a realization why this is important for business. Not because you said because it's just another opinion at the end of the day. But if you help them by asking right questions, get to the same conclusion. The outcome is a little bit different. Uh, regarding how to get your people not to quit their IT job, provide secure environment for them. Inspire them to do things. Make sure they are safe. Make sure they, even if they make mistake, they're not going to be reprimanded. They're going to be shown the way. If 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 a team, if a member of my team makes a mistake. That is, that is up to me. I haven't said or shown proper way of, of how things uh, needed to be done. So me as a leader, take a blame and responsibility for that. I'm not pointing finger to that person, making them uncomfortable and unsafe to come daily. Make them have an ownership. Ask, even though if, if you as a leader know what the best solution is, don't just put it out there. Have a meeting with all of your team members. Ask them to do uh, their own research and come with their own choices and conclusions and as a team, evaluate all of that. And then you, you, once they have ownership of something, they will go above and beyond anything they even thought they can do. They feel safe, uh, they feel appreciated, recognized, and that's how you get them not quit. And ask them always for feedback. You have to be vulnerable. You you have to ask, like for instance, uh, we have a a weekly team meetings uh, anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half. I always end that meeting asking for feedback from everybody. What have I done that I shouldn't have done? What should I do that I haven't done? What are the ways that uh, I can improve in the way I handle uh, our operations. Mm. And you have to be sincere when you ask those questions. That's how you make them comfortable. That's how you uh, you make them with their jobs and go outside. Because at the end of the day, people don't quit jobs, they quit management.
0: Mm. Yes. And they think there's no there's no nowhere left to go. There's no there's no room for growth. There's no even if there is no room for growth, let's say, they can still be learning something. You can still be giving them life skills. You can still be giving them experience where they haven't had experience before. You can still help them learn the language of business, so to speak, and how to translate and do all those things that you just said to move up in the world and grow their career, right? They can't feel like they're in a dead-end job. Uh, back to this forum real quick. I think this guy said it best. No, they're just as dumb as they were last week. Last month, last year, and we'll be just as dumb next week, next <laughs> month, <laughs> next year. And right above that, I think we're well into the generation that was never exposed to typewriters. The, so with that being said... <laughs> we need to love our end users. Stop. This is the wrong mindset, people. But it is good for a few laughs. The <laughs> there needs to be there needs to be some outlet. But guys, at the same time in your weekly meetings, right? This is how you grow in IT. This is how you don't get lost, burnt out, hate your job. This is how you don't stay completely Uh, Undervalued, um, whatever it is. Some people just, you know, they walk around like no one cares about IT. We're the, the least valued IT department, but the, or at least, you know, no one even notices us. But the truth is, nothing in the company gets done better without technology. It affects every single area of the company. Curious, what do you think is the pathway to freedom? And when I say freedom, I mean, what's the kind of end goal for IT? How do we cash out with like, I don't know, five to 10 million and call it a day? <laughs> Any ideas? I'm still waiting for someone to come up with a great idea. I have a couple ideas and I think that would be, this is my idea. This is my suggestion. You tell me if you agree with it. I think every IT director, every IT leader should push for an MBO. Management by business objectives. Anyone that doesn't know what an MBO is, Google Capital M, Capital B, Capital O, Management by Business Objectives. Because yes, it may put a lot of stress on you, but we already got done. We, we, already, we already spoke about getting out of your comfort zone. We already talked about, we already talked about stressing the muscles. We already talked about doing all that. So if you really want to push yourself, ask for an MBO, sit down with your C levels, have those conversations with people. I need to put this in the book because I forgot I forgot about this. Have those conversations with the C levels that you're not used to having and say, hey, look, if I do X, Y, and Z, can I get paid more money? And if I don't do X, Y, and Z, don't pay me more money. That's fine. But why not have why not tie your IT position? to the goals of the business. Because then you're forced to have all those conversations with all those different departments, marketing, uh, financial, CEO. Now you're forced to have all those conversations and you're actually forced to bring results. And when you bring results, you should get rewarded for that. Agreed. And... I'm just trying to think of the way that an IT guy can cash out with 5 million, 5 to 10 million. And I would say, pick your company wisely and make sure that you pick a company where IT can make a drastic effect in the bottom line. And then you tie your job with a MBO to that bottom line. So that when that company sells, you cash out and you're like, see you later. Have a nice day, everybody. I'm just, you know, I'm gone. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, uh, you know, one thing to understand and, and not forget, IT is not revenue-generating department.
0: Oh, I totally disagree. I totally disagree.
1: No, 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 there is more to it. Okay. So with, with that in mind, uh, the expectations of uh, 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 contributing to, to business success and growth You have to figure that out as IT leader, and you do that by understanding operations of other departments. If I don't know what they do, how they do it, uh, there is no way I can I can provide value to the business. So stepping outside technology and learning about their operations, then you can bring your knowledge and technology. You can see that there is so much data sitting there; it's not being utilized. They can provide of so much value and revenue to the business in addition to what it does already. Then you use your technology. Utilize that data. Show your C-level people, hey, here's what's what's missing. We already have this. Let's use it. Once you get a return on that, then you can ask for your $5 million and go retire.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, look at Amazon. I'm pretty sure Jeff Bezos was an IT nerd working in his garage And I'm pretty sure he's an IT company. Well, I mean, technology company. It's just, I guess it's all how you look at it. But yeah, if you're working for the good old boys uh, pumping oil out of Texas or something, nothing against them. I'm just using this as an example. And, you know, we've always been trucking oil this same way. And IT, just please make sure that the phones still work. And that I can send an email. In that case, maybe it doesn't matter that much. But there is a level of forward thinking that I think IT can literally generate money in many circumstances. They can definitely save money. They can definitely make things more efficient. Now, if you don't call that making money, okay, fine. I understand. But I have seen IT make some tweaks to say, I don't know, the ERP or something like that and... All, and, and literally observe all departments and sit in on all departments and make a very significant change. IT might, you might have an old company that doesn't have an online presence and IT brings an, an entirely, an, an online marketplace to, maybe you don't call that IT, but maybe they bring online marketplace to a, a level of the business that didn't even exist before and now your revenue goes up 20%. Sure. So that's, I just get, I get really triggered when uh when we talk about IT not being a um, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the show the is there is there anything very special that you've learned over time that that um, would be very beneficial to everyone out there listening was there anything like an aha moment or a crisis averted that you have something to share with the listeners?
1: Sure. Don't sacrifice your people to save the numbers. Sacrifice the numbers to save your people. That's pretty much it. What does that mean? It means, uh, you know, we don't, we don't measure, we don't look at our revenue in a decade. We, we go quarter by quarter. And if we are below expectations for projections, we're going to start cutting costs. That's why we sacrifice people to save the numbers. Mm. But you have to put, regardless if it is IT or, or any other department or business or industry, you have to put your people first. You have to put your people first, uh, make them feel comfortable and safe. If they feel like that, they will provide outstanding service to your customers Once your customers get great service, you're going to make your shareholders happy. So it's always in that order. Happy employees, happy customers, happy shareholders. Not the other way around.
0: Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you being on Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And when you figure out, when you cash out with a 5 million or more, I think we're going to draw that. (laughs) When you you cash out with 5 million or more, please um, come right back on the show uh, so we can make that the final show and we'll just, uh, we'll close that one out.
1: You got it. Phil, thank you for having me. Great conversation.